0: Daylight out there from Yale. North Dakota, it's Michael Parks giving chase. He's
1: found a retreat into his own end. Josh Walsh tied his game right here, He
0: sends it to the blue line. Here's a chance for a two-on-one break. Davis in. They shoots
2: to the save. Rebound chance. Yale scores. It's straight away. They got a trip possibly
0: to the frozen floor in Pittsburgh. I have to thank Kenny Agostino. Jesse Root, one more time for kicking off this project with me earlier in the week. It is part two today of Bulldogs, Not Underdogs, a celebration of the five-year anniversary of the 2013 national champion Yale Bulldogs. We got a great show for you today as this documentary carries on. We pick up the narrative today, still in Grand Rapids, but for the national quarterfinal the regional final between Yale and North Dakota. With us on the program today, a couple things. First, after the intro here, we are going to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk with Chip Malfrante and hear part one of my interview with him. Uh, Chip will be spread out through the next three parts here and there, and today we'll hear his sort of take on... Uh, the beginning of the run up into this point, the end of the North Dakota game. Uh, and then we will take a break and come back with Anthony Day and Josh Balch, uh, who will be the players on the show today. I talked to Anthony and Josh earlier and uh, had a great time uh, with both of them recalling the 4-1 to victory that Yale had over over North Dakota. Uh, quickly, though, I want to thank everyone who's list- who listened to part one everyone who reached out and uh, gave some feedback on the first part of this series I really appreciate that I want to thank all of the Yale hockey fans in the uh, the Facebook group I want to thank everyone else on Twitter who who gave a retweet which I appreciate I'd love to spread the word on this project as much as possible so if you're if you're on Twitter and you see a tweet if you can give it a retweet uh, or a share on Facebook that'd be great uh all of the player interviews at this point are recorded, so I can go ahead right now and announce the player schedule uh for part three or four. Uh part three, which will be out early next week, will have Andrew Miller, the captain, and the uh the goal scorer in overtime and the UMass goal game will join us and also freshman Rich Wittick uh will join us. Uh, the the player who scored the first goal in that game. So for part three, we'll have the first goal scorer and the last goal scorer. And then for part four, uh, we will have Jeff Malcolm, who got a shutout on his 24th birthday famously in that game, and also Gus Young, who made the uh, the play along the boards to pinch in and uh, get a puck on that for Clinton Berman at a tip to make that game one to nothing. Uh, so that's the player schedule as we go forward. There's also still two voices that we're working on. Uh, one we'd mix in at some point, probably in part three, and then one, uh, one big surprise uh, that will that will hopefully end the show, uh, part four. That is so. There's a lot to get to today, so there's no real reason uh, for me to blabber on much here. Uh, we're gonna take a break and when we come back we'll have Chip from uh, from the New Haven Register then you'll hear the Yow Bulldogs fight song Anthony and Josh will be there and then after that I'll be back to kind of close things off and get us ready for part 3 so Bulldogs not underdogs part 2 the story of the 2013 national champions let's do this part 2 will be right back All right, our first guest on part two today, studied at Central Connecticut University and is a beat writer for both Yale and Quinnipiac men's hockey. He's nice enough to make some time today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Chip Mellifrante. Thanks for doing this today, Chip. Really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: So, 2013, we were talking before we started, and it's five years goes by really quick. And um I mean for both teams really Yale and Quinnipiac, the five years since has been a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Obviously Quinnipiac played in another championship game. Uh but this story uh that I want to focus on today really starts I want to start with you in Atlantic City. Were you in Atlantic City?
2: Yeah, yeah I did. I was I was in Atlantic City for the uh for the UCAC tournament.
0: Now Yale gets there. Obviously they have that skid where they lose the five games when Malcolm's hurt. But people forget that when he came back, they won five in a row and they had really blown the doors off of St. Lawrence in the in the first first round that they had at the quarterfinals, I guess, of the season. It was 6-1, 3-nothing. Neither of those games were close. They may have came come into that tournament the hottest of the four teams and um you know, they run into Union, they lose that game 5-nothing. They lose a third-place game, 3-0, which almost kept them out of the tournament. What I want to ask you about this, I don't want to focus a lot on Atlantic City, but um, when you got to Atlantic City, were you pretty sure Union, Yale, and Quinnipiac are in this national tournament anyways? And when you left that that setting, were you as, were you as surprised as maybe I was at how tenuous Yale's position had suddenly become?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think heading down to Atlantic City, obviously, you know Quinnipiac was a was a no-brainer. We had already known, you know, that they were a, a serious contender uh, to win the national championship. It was kind of a historic breakout season for them. Um, you know, Yale was in a little bit uh, of a different position. You know, I think, um, you know, going down there. You know, like you had mentioned, they lost the five games in a row, but it was also five games that Jeff Malcolm had been injured and and they were going to back up goaltenders. And that St. Lawrence uh, quarterfinal series was was just ridiculous how how non competitive that was. I think Yale was really starting to find its legs there and, uh, you know, demonstrate that if it was able to get into the tournament, that they were going to cause some damage. Uh, But I think, uh, you know, going into Atlantic City, I thought that Yale probably would have a good chance uh, to make the tournament. Um, you know, but they, I think that they needed to, to beat union to really secure that and union was a, was a good team as well. and you know that was, uh, you know, 2013, that, that they were a, a year before they would go on to win a national championship. And that was going to be, uh, a difficult game for them. And it, and it turned out to be, you know, obviously union wins that game five, nothing. And you know, that they, they, they put Yale away fairly quickly. Um, you know, and, uh, the uh, consolation game, really, I, I thought might have been the death knell for Yale. Um, it was kind of—it's a tough game to play anyway. They wound up getting rid of that game after the 2013 uh, uh, Quinnipiac Yale game, uh, you know, because it was kind of, uh, you know. It, it, puts on needed pressure on teams, you know, like I said, in the, in the case of Yale, it could, it could have actually kept them out of the tournament. Um, so I thought that after, you know, after Quinnipiac had beaten Yale there in the consolation, I didn't think Yale's chances were very good. In fact, it really wasn't until I had done a lot of reading and, and I saw that there was a very slim chance, uh, you know, that if Notre Dame had, uh, had beaten Michigan, that, that Yale was going to sneak in. So, you know, it was um, it was just a uh, it, it just seemed like everything that had that built up for Yale had kind of come to a halt there. That loss for Quinnipiac really, I, I thought, was going was gonna to hurt them, hurt their chances not only to get into the tournament, but even if they did get into the tournament, that they had lost some of that momentum that they had built up to that point.
0: Right, and... When you when you know that that last game that it comes down to now, their odds weren't nearly as bad as they were two years later. I mean, two years later they cashed a three, literally cashed a three percenter. When they lost to Harvard, they were at about three percent to make the tournament uh, in 2015, right. which they cashed. So it wasn't quite that bad. I mean, if you get to a at least they got to a point where they can all gather at Wild Wings, you know, and watch one game and know if, right. if this goes their way. They win that game. Uh, Notre Dame wins that game, uh, so they sneak in. Uh, you, you wrote, I was, I read, I was reading this to Kenny and Jesse uh, yesterday from your book, Hockey Haven, about how Quinnipac had a party, and you know ESPN was there, and Yale. The way you described it is they watch privately, and Jesse said that they kind of went back to the rink, they practiced a little bit. Uh, and then they were just kind of hanging out in the lounge and I, he was pretty sure that it had already kind of came up that, you know, they're, they're in the West and they're going to go play Minnesota. Um, and, uh, that, you know, North, they, they kind of had a pretty good idea when they got off the ice, what, what what had happened. Um, let me ask you this about Atlantic city. Last thing about it, Keith Elaine blew you guys off, huh? In the, after the. Was that after the third place game or after the Union game that he didn't come to the presser? No, or?
2: no, he he uh, he did his media after the Union game. It was after the uh, the consolation game against Quinnipiac um, that they didn't come to the uh, post game media conference. Which, for, from my from what I understand, it's it's required. It's it's mandatory. Um, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily surprised uh just you know knowing knowing coach Lane and and I know he he doesn't really enjoy doing formal media conferences one on one after games he's he's perfectly fine I think he uh you know he he has more problems uh you know handling the um a, a losing media conference, so I it wasn't necessarily surprised that they did that, but at the same time it didn't it didn't come across great. You know there were, there it was a, a crowded room and nobody really knew what was going on, and I think that they had sent some people back to to try to to find Yale, and you know they were they were either already on the bus or they were gone. So you know it, 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 it kind of caught the organizers of the tournament by surprise.
0: Yeah, I know someone like Ken Shaw took it really personal. Like he picked. He picked Minnesota to win 7 to nothing in the next game, and right. that was a hate pick. You know what I mean? Like he was just really mad about about what had happened in Atlantic City. But it's funny because, you know, when I talked to my brother about that, in, you know, that, that weekend that that had happened, he was like, that's so awesome. You know, I love Coach. I love that. You know, and when I talked about it with, to Jesse and, and Kenny, who were in part one, you know, they're the same way. They just, like, they fed off of that in some way. Like, the way Keith interacted with the media, there's something about it that, for whatever reason, the team just... It creates some kind of solidarity. I don't know how to describe it, but they... As mad as yeah, the media saying, was... Yeah, not that, to interrupt you,
2: yeah, Steve, but I, I, kinda, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. You yeah. know, he's, uh, he's a guy who is never going to throw players under the bus. He's always going to stand up for his guys, even when they don't play well. He will say that they don't play well, but he is not going to – specifically get into to names and, and things like that and he does he will uh you know he, he he's 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 a guy who he, he can come across as confrontational especially after after losing and i and i can see why his players would you know, they, they appreciate that you know i i think that they can uh you know that that's something that 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 could rally the team and it doesn't surprise me you know that uh, that uh Anthony would would say something like that because it's uh you know he he's definitely a a player's coach when it comes to handling the media
0: did you think they had any chance to beat Minnesota? Uh,
2: I really, I, it's I, I probably didn't. I, I uh-huh. probably didn't think that they had a great chance. Now, I, did they not have any chance at all? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, you know, this is this tournament is, uh, it's changed over the over the last ten years or so, and really, you know, those those seedings mean nothing. You've got sixteen teams in that tournament, and maybe with the exception of that Atlantic Hockey entry. Um, who really is going to struggle? And, and geez, that's a, that's a conference that's won games as well, so maybe it doesn't even really apply to them. Um, but really, to me, the seedings are, are meaningless once you get into a single elimination hockey tournament with the best teams in the country. Um, you know, I, I thought that Yale yeah, would go into that game as the underdog. Uh, I can't say that I didn't think that they had any chance to win, but I thought it was going to be tough. I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, a struggle just given the season that Minnesota had. Uh, playing in a, in a tougher conference um, you know with some of the uh, the, the personnel that they had uh, you know I, I thought that yeah it was gonna was gonna have its work cut out for it
0: now they get ahead in that game two to nothing Kenny scores a beautiful goal on a snapshot on a really nice uh, play where Miller uh, found the trailer and he snapped one off a- Beautiful goal! Gus Young scores a power play goal. They go into the third period up two nothing, and Minnesota gets two back. And there is still about six minutes in that game where I felt like they were holding on a little bit. Do you remember what you felt as it approached overtime? Uh, how you felt about their chances? Did you feel? And I told Jesse and Kenny this yesterday in part one. I said I know at home I felt like, oh man, we had them and we let them off the hook, kind of. Uh, right, you know that. That's kind of how I felt. You know, and I can tell you how they felt. They felt like, wow, you know, if you would have told us yesterday that all we had to do to win this game is go get a goal out in overtime, we'd sign up and take that. We'd be pumped, like, what a great opportunity. You know, so those are right. kind of like the two opinions that have been put forth on this show so far. What was your thought as it kind of entered the overtime?
2: Yeah, you know, and again, I was uh, I was not out in Grand Rapids. I was in Providence with, uh, with Quinnipiac, and the, they had the media day. Uh, you know, because uh, the uh, Providence Regional was a day behind the Grand Rapids right. Regional, so they had their media day. So I was, I was, I was following the game, but I, you know, I was trying to to, to get interviews and, and work done on the side. But I was following it closely, and you know, I was aware that they were up two nothing. I was aware that they had given the two goals back. Uh, you know, but just from from what I had been able to 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 see for myself, I thought that Yale would really came out unintimidated and I thought that they dictated the pace and they you know they played their style and they were aggressive and you know they were going to beat Minnesota playing their own game um, you know I thought that you know Minnesota again not actually Seeing video of what was going on, but seeing that Minnesota had scored those two goals in the third period to tie it up, I thought that maybe uh, you know that there was some trouble, and you know just the natural thinking is that Minnesota's got a lot of momentum going into the overtime, uh, and it turned out to to not be the case at all. As you know, I, uh, clearly you know the the Agostino to to root goal there in overtime, you know, is going to go down in and, and Yale lore as is, as is, uh, one of the biggest, most memorable goals in, in school history, and and the way that 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 evolved and, and what it meant for the program.
0: You know, it's funny. Almost every time I watch an overtime hockey game now, when I look at the clock, if it's past 1951, I think, well, it's longer than that one. I just <laughs> right. It's just one of those things that <laughs> – and, and I told the guys yesterday a funny story about how you know, I was still kind of on the mend from my health issues at the time, so I didn't go to Grand Rapids. Uh, just my brother, my other brother, and my uh, dad went. Uh, so the rest of my family came to my house to watch with me, and there was about 15 or 20 people in the room when the puck dropped to start the game, when it was an afternoon game, and some people kind of could only come in for a little bit, like they were off from work, you know, for like lunch, they come in, watch a little bit, you know, whatever. When Jesse scored that goal, I was the only one in the room. Right. You know, it started with, uh, I was, some people were, you know, didn't get, were in the bathroom or in... You know, out, it was a nice day standing outside waiting. You know, like, I was the only, it happened so quick. I was the only one there. But um, we get past that Here's game. Here's what I do remember, yeah.
2: Steve, now that, that – and I, again, apologize here for, for interrupting. No, I love I, it. I remember now being out in Providence, I remember uh, Boston College was at the podium. Uh, you know, Jerry York and, uh, and uh, a kid by the name of Patrick Mullane, who was a Wallingford, Connecticut uh, resident. He was Boston College's captain. Uh, he was one of the guys in the room. They had spoken – And when they got off the podium... You know, they, they kind of walked to the back of the media room, and the game was on TV, and it was actually with the overtime was just getting started. So those guys, the Boston College guys who were leaving the room, paused to watch the beginning of the overtime, and you know they they saw it, they saw everything the the way it unfolded. They saw you know the Agostino uh, you know make make the great play, the pass, the route, and the goal. And I can remember distinctly that they weren't surprised at all because earlier in the season yep. Yale had uh, had tied them, and they had dominated them pretty much. It went down as a three to three tie but Yale had really kind of run them out of the, their own building. And I remember those guys not being the least bit surprised um, you know, that, that Yale had won that game. I think that they were kind of impressed w- with the fashion and how quickly it had happened. Uh, but that was a, a BC team that was, again, a national title contender, one of the best teams in the country. And uh, you know, they, they had watched a 15-seed upset a two-seed and not the least bit surprised at all at what had occurred.
0: Living in Buffalo uh growing up here obviously my brother grew up here played here played all his hockey here i remember after the game i was talking to my mom and uh i was thinking like man you know if niagara can win this game they're gonna get a really big break my mom said to me no it has to be north dakota because if he ever lost a national tournament game to niagara i would never be able to show my face in the city again uh so my, my mom was maybe the one Yale supporter who was wanted no part of the, that Niagara team. But North Dakota wins the game. And they have the two big guys, right? I mean, they have Christo and they have Knight, who are top 10 Hobie Baker guys that year. Just two two studs. It might not be the best North Dakota team uh, in the run for Haskell there, but they got a couple of studs. They're going to be a huge test for Yale as well. But that was that was a game where I felt like even though, you know, North Dakota gets the goal and I don't know, so now games are going on where you are in Providence at this time, right? So this is probably did right, you to watch yeah. this one at all?
2: I didn't. I didn't yeah. see uh, I didn't see it happen at all. That was right in the middle of uh Quinnipiac's game with Keneshius with and Quinnipiac was and in was was big trouble. They, right, yeah, they're in yeah, a battle. they, they, they they fell behind three to one, and they uh, they needed a big rally to come back. We we all thought that uh, there was a lot of talk about how Quinnipiac was overrated as a one seed. I think it's just a natural disrespect from from the rest of the country when it comes to ECAC hockey. Uh, but I can remember thinking that uh, you yeah, know well, Quinnipiac, this is going to be a big big choke job. It's not going to look good for the league for them to go down the Kinesis. But I, it, it kind of kept me from from. Really following that North Dakota game other than just following online and, and seeing the game updates and, uh, you know, uh, being really, really surprised at the third period that, that Yale put together and, and being able to, to score four goals against that team um, uh, Yale, uh, you know, they had had some success against against North Dakota. They had actually beaten them in Worcester in the right. regional a couple of years early, uh, which was a, a huge victory. Uh, but for some reason, Keith Elaine's teams have uh, they they have played the, the old WCHA, which was you know uh, heads and tails, probably the best conference in the country. Uh, but for some reason, Keith's teams matched up really really well with those guys. I can't remember the exact number, but I want to say that you know they had uh, you know they were like unbeaten in eight games or maybe one loss in eight games against that conference, uh, and in the previous eight games. And that included that North Dakota victory. So, uh, you know, they had always uh, matched up with those guys. Well, they always played those guys well and uh, clearly not intimidated at all by either Minnesota or North Dakota.
0: All right. Thanks, Chip. Really appreciate it. We are going to take a break and we will be right back with, uh, Josh Balsh and Anthony Day. Our next guests are from Chicago, Illinois and Buffalo, New York respectively. One was a senior forward, one was a sophomore forward on the 2012-2013 Yale Bulldogs. A warm Sportscasters welcome to Josh Balsch and Anthony Day. Thanks so much for doing this boys. I really appreciate it. How are uh, how are both of you guys doing today? Josh we're gonna have to we're gonna have to break down the fourth wall on that so so we were just we were just talking on uh before we started about how the guys are worried about stepping on each other so i was like well don't worry when i ask a question i'll finish it with a uh with a name and then of course i failed on the first question so i'm
3: glad i brought that up before the call started
0: <laughs> josh how are you doing uh, today I'm in uh, boston buddy
3: uh doing really good miss you guys
0: anthony i'm not quite as interested how you're doing for whatever reason. yeah well
1: if you were interested i would just for those out there i'm doing pretty good too
0: all right all right all right fair enough you know what i think is pretty interesting anthony when you did your visit at yale josh was your host correct
1: josh was a lot more than just there for my first visit i like i always think of this and it's crazy that it's five years from the championship night and me and him are on the phone call together because when i was in juniors pretty much the reason why i ended up at yale is all because of josh falls who was uh one of my best friends from junior hockey matt Lindblad, who went on to play at dartmouth was josh's best friend from back in chicago so after my first season at the USHL, I was down at uh, Lindblad's Lake House in Wisconsin, and that was the first time I met Josh. And we just kind of talked about, you know, the process I was going through, the recruiting and all that. And, you know, he had just finished his freshman year at Yale. So, you know, he kind of just talked about the program and his first his first year. And, you know, I had at that point kind of talked to them a little bit and just kind of wasn't really sure about the whole admissions process and all that. And once he kind of shed the light on that, I got back to Buffalo from Wisconsin and, you know, called Kyle Wallach. And then next weekend I was in New Haven going on a tour and, you know, I ended up committing. And then later in that year, yeah, I like took my official visit and, and stayed down there with Walshy. And, you know, it was, uh, it was just cool that here we are today. And it just really started, you know, pretty much 2010, summer then. So it's, uh, come
0: full circle. Josh, what do you remember about hosting Anthony on his official visit? Maybe, any, either of you can take this after that. Do you have any like recruiting stories in general, hosting recruits?
3: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's funny to to, to to like bring that up and just kind of like reminisce and think about that. Like I can still remember to this day, you know, uh, even before like meeting Anthony and uh, Greenlight. You know, having like know Kyle ask about him and stuff like that, and I kind of knew about Anthony. Uh, as a person, as a hockey player through, you know, my buddy, Matthew, I'm glad I played with uh, Anthony at Sioux Falls. And, you know, I was really excited for the opportunity to get to meet Anthony um, for that weekend, but I had no idea how big of a beauty it was. And, you know, I had, I, we had like, you know, such a fun time. And it was just, <laughs> so after that, I was like, we need to have this kid. I don't even care how good he is at hockey. Like what a culture fit and what it like. And so as soon as I left, I like can remember just like giving Kyle a call and be like, I don't care what you do get this guy to, uh, to Yale. So, um, wow. I just, it's, uh, it's just kind of amazing, you know, how everything you know, kind of like worked out that way, but you know, how lucky we were to have Anthony. It's, uh, you know, it's a friendship. You'll ever lose.
0: Josh, do you want to explain who Kyle is? Uh, Kyle Wallach. Yeah. I don't think, uh,
3: he was, yeah. So Kyle Wallach was, uh, the assistant coach, um, of our team. He, through our, my freshman, sophomore year. And I believe, uh, Towards a, did he leave? He might have left
1: he, before Anthony got there. Yeah, but he was yeah, the one that year, he was both gone. Anthony yeah. and I. Gotcha. Yeah. And he he was and, it, and it was too bad that he wasn't there like for the day we won because he you know that was pretty much a team that he had built so a lot of the guys you know we were still kind of in contact with Kyle and I still talk to him today just because he's he's at the University of Vermont and you know I'm coaching. The prep team at my former high school now so i talked to him a little bit but yeah i mean that team was pretty much a team that he recruited so he wasn't there that day but you know i bet you know everyone you'd ask you know he he deserves to be mentioned
3: he actually he actually did come that night um he stayed he came that last (laughs) night he was yeah um and he uh he was there at the end after like the celebrations and i don't know if he got to see everybody because um, I, I know he just tried to, like, come last minute. He was like, this is something that, you know, I couldn't miss. And even though he didn't even know, like, the the class below Anthony, he was the one that, like, "He." by the time he left, he had already recruited, like, four classes ahead. So the, the group that we had together was, you know, in big part because of Kyle Walker.
0: Josh, the team two years before the 2013 team, I mean, that's the team that won 27 games, first overall seed in the, in the tournament. And got to, I think Bridgeport was was even where you guys got to play the games. And it didn't quite work out. I think Minnesota Duluth ended up winning the national championship after knocking you guys out in the regional final. But how important do you think the experience was for the upperclassmen on the 2013 team to go through everything you guys went through uh, in 2011, I guess?
3: Oh, it was huge. I would say it was probably the single biggest thing, um, you know, that was probably helped us, you know, get to where we were. I mean, even going back to the year before I was there, uh, when the uh, Yale, you know, played Vermont and made the first like, NCAA tournament in a long time, and then followed up the the following year, and uh, you know, played both uh, North Dakota and and BC. Just like you know, kind of getting those experiences, you know, you kind of figure out all you have to do is kind of get to the tournament and anything can happen. You know, it's just a matter of getting it hot at the right time. And we knew that and we were very confident as a team. And that was, you know, from top down from our coach who, you know, gained these experiences himself, you know, throughout. And he did an unbelievable job leading us and getting us prepared and getting us ready. And, you know, the experience definitely helped out in terms of, you know, what we were able to eventually accomplish.
0: In part one, uh, Kenny Agassino talked about giving the auger salute to the Denver uh, crowd after his overtime goal against Denver you scored in overtime that weekend against Colorado College what do you remember about that goal
3: <laughs> I remember shooting it and having no idea that it went in I think it was Gus yeah. John, who was uh right behind me and came jumping up and celebrating and I actually really thought it was uh someone on uh, Colorado College I was coming to try to hit me and I think I tried to like pull a punch at him at first but <laughs> yeah no he's like ballsy nice job so that was uh that was pretty cool. I don't score very often so I like it.
0: Well you scored huge ones and it's it's to be fair it's cherry picking a little bit but the goal you score against Colgate you you guys probably don't make the tournament if you don't score that goal. That's kind of how close the Parawise was in the end uh, but and, and you know I say cherry picking because you could say well if you don't beat this team or that team if, you know any, the wins, uh, wins are wins right but I mean, that game's just so late in the season. That's uh, such a crazy goal. You know, uh, take us through that play with the the, the the broken stick on the ice or whatever, and, and you're able to uh, score another overtime winner in a huge spot against Colgate.
3: Yeah, this one was a little bit even more exciting because I actually got to see this one go in. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it was getting late in, in, in overtime. Um, at that point, we thought, wow, well, like, you know, probably going to come out here with a tie but you know the way that coach and, and our team was set up we just kind of kept trying to get pucks in the net. you know get as uh you know get as much traffic in front of the net as we could and you know a uh, a pass came out in front of me right there and you know luckily i was able to put it in and the excitement was huge and it started off for a great uh, saturday night for the boys
0: anthony you kind of have a story about that goal or recall that goal right
1: Yeah, well, I just, this is just funny just because, you know, I was on the bench for this goal and, you know, and coach Keith always kind of, you know, throws his gum or does something, you know, with a few seconds left in the clock, you know, he's just, all right, that's it. Like, I remember seeing like his gum go over my head. Like he had already thrown out his gum and probably was like turning around to like, kind of just like get, you know, under the tunnel and get to the locker room and there's ball she's scoring with, you know, a second left. And it's just like, that just shows the things that went right and just, You know, but I don't think it's luck. It's just, you know, the fact that is still competing with a second left in overtime, that just shows that, you know, that's just kind of the guys we had in our team that, you know, I can see a lot of guys who maybe look up at the scoreboard, see seven seconds, and maybe just kind of dial it down, whereas I bet Balshi had no idea what was on the clock, right, because he's just out there doing his job. So um, it was funny kind of seeing Keith, and, and I'm sure if you ask him, he'd probably even know about him throwing the gum, but um you know, it's just something I'll
0: always remember. <laughs> okay, let's jump ahead. So we get to the tournament. We covered game one with with Kenny and uh, Kenny and Jesse. And uh, let's start start the narrative kind of where we ended with them before a few postscripts that we got in there, and we'll do the same with you guys. But what, you, Josh? You can start, and then Anthony, you can follow. in. Josh, what do you remember about? Okay, so Jesse scores. You guys celebrate. You go into the locker room, and then at some point, there's a realization that, okay, well, we didn't just come here to beat Minnesota, right? So how do you as an athlete kind of get from the jubilation of that win to then kind of getting yourself ready for the game the next day? Like, take me through that next, you know, 24-ish hours and how you kind of prepared and what you remember about that time between the games.
3: Yeah, no, uh, definitely, Steve. Um, I would say the big thing, you know, kind of came to your uh, previous question, and that was in regards to you know the experience from the previous NCAA tournaments that we had uh, scheduled, or you know had had uh, participated in, and the way Keith from from a leadership standpoint, you know, he was not coming. Like it didn't matter what we were seated you know, one win was not, you know, the goal. It was, you know, to get all the way to the end. And so I don't think, even though it was, you know, as big of an upset as people would say it was, I don't think anyone in the locker room was as shocked. And I think after that, it was just kind of maybe in the past where we'd always lost in the Elite Eight. We'd get excited about that first win. And, you know, we would, you know, kind of reminisce in it and not prepare right away for our next game. But because of our uh, previous experience, it allowed us to kind of, Really enjoy it, but at the same time, you know, put it behind us and just you know focus on North Dakota.
0: Josh, do you remember specifically what you did between the two games? Who's in town with you? Uh, uh, what do you do for dinner? Uh, those kinds of things. Your room with Miller, uh, right? Um, Miller's your roommate.
3: Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I so I roomed with Miller, and uh, so I had a broken hand during this tournament. So at this point, you know, I had uh, I remember having Mike and. Uh, And uh, Tori, you know, helping to, uh, you know, undo my skates. And it was about a bunch of icing just to kind of get prepared and, you know, hopefully not and be a little bit healthier for the next day. And uh, then Andrew and I, you know, obviously go back to the room, just kind of, you know, when we're we're secretly together, you know, reminisce, be like, wow, what a win that was. And, you know, (laughs) but uh, yeah, no, it was just more like, you know, preparation just getting ready for the next day.
0: What about you, Anth?
3: yeah, so the you know you and
1: um, Kenny and, and Ruder talked a little bit about it. The Minnesota game, I remember just before we went out for overtime. I had taken two slap shots in the third period, one from Mikey O'Reilly and one from Hagelson on both of my kneecaps like right where your shinpat ends. So like I remember just the intermission before overtime. I was like, I first of all, I can't sit down because my knees will just totally seize up. And second of all, I'm like, I need this game to end, like we need to get this over with. So like literally I'm walking the bench with those thoughts in my head and you know i, I don't even sit down i kind of just like get to the bench you know by the door and just do like a little half squat to loosen up a little bit and there goes kenny taking a stick and Ruder scoring nine seconds in so it's like, <laughs> it's like that is just so ridiculous right that i'm like thinking this game needs to end as soon as possible and Ruder scores nine seconds in so really honestly the, the next 24 hours for me i was like well i need to make sure that i'm able to skate or that Tomorrow by the time I'm taking warm ups that it's you know fine enough where I know like the adrenaline and I won't even think about it the next night or next afternoon. So in the time you know in between you know my brother Greg and and Dad were there. So I and, and you know it was North Dakota versus Niagara. So being a Buffalo boy, I had a couple buddies on that team. So I just remember going to like our hotel sports bar watching the Niagara-North Dakota game and just constantly icing my knees and and almost like I couldn't even really sit. So it was just so awkward what I had to do for the next day. Um, So I was just – because I know, like, everyone else is going to take care of what they need to take care of, so I just need to make sure that I can go out there and and play with speed because otherwise, you know, I'm going to be useless against North Dakota the next day. So it was just honestly just selfish and just making sure that. I was just constantly icing the knees because it was, you know, two huge – clappers right in my knee like same ship just like pretty much just getting shot um so that was that that was my 24 hours after
0: well i remember when i talked to you on the phone after that game i remember saying to you like i don't know what what's going on what are you doing or whatever and you said i'm literally icing everything just yeah
1: yeah that's that's just the fact that that Like when you get to that point, right? And and like Paul said, like he had had the experience and I just wanted to make sure that, you know, this is my first tournament experience that, you know, I want to make sure that I'm able to kind of play the style that I want to play, which is fast and aggressive. So I needed to make sure that my legs were good because I wasn't going to get this far and and have two slap shots, you know, kind of be the reason why I couldn't go the next day. So it was just totally just focused on, you know, getting to 80% if that was good enough or whatever it was.
0: Who did you room with that that weekend, Anthony?
1: I I was with Trent Ruffalo, and I'm usually with Nico, but at that point, Nico his season ended just uh, a few concussions. So um, Keith always, you know, kind of put guys that were going to be in the lineup together. So it was me and Trent Ruffalo, and you know, he's pretty simple guy. So I mean, you know, that time in the in the, in our hotel room before it was just honestly just you know watching TV. I mean, it's March Madness at this point, right? And he's a huge sports guy, so we're just kind of just get our minds off it and watch some college hoops
0: at what point the next day do you guys realize that they're playing a different goalie than the one they played the first game Josh do you do you remember knowing that that was the case or did that get by you
3: I still have uh <laughs> did not know that I thought okay. <laughs> it's, it's something that I <laughs> Yeah. I mean, obviously, coaching everyone uh, obviously mentioned that in the pregame uh, warmups, but that was not a, um, something I really remember too uh, too well. So I'll let Anthony take that one.
1: Yeah, the only reason why I think I kind of knew is because I remember I played against their starter who didn't play in juniors, and I knew he like changed his last name, right? Steve Zane something. McIntyre, right? Something McIntyre, right? Yeah. So once I knew that, so I knew just just from experience, like I knew like this name just because I. I knew I played against him in junior, so. Um, but I mean, it's North Dakota, so like you don't think it's because he's like sick or whatever the reason was. You just think they just have a better goalie that they're just going to go with. So it's not like it's like oh, you know, a sign of relief. It's just like it's still North Dakota to goalie. So, um, but I just only knew because I, I played against him in juniors, so I, I just kind of realized he wasn't in that.
0: Anthony, I should have asked you when you were watching the game in the sports bar. Did you want to play Niagara because? you want to have a chance to play, you know, a local team that, honestly, I don't, not that I recall, they ever even talked to you at all? Like, was there, like, a revenge idea in no, your mind? No, or did I mean, you they, want they, want to play North Dakota maybe no, because you want to play Dakota. the best? Okay, you want to play the best?
1: Yeah, no, no, because I, I just, you know, I know Niagara never talked to me, but at this point, like, that's so behind me, and I just, I wanted North Dakota because, First of all, I know how well we match up against those kind of teams, right? The like the high drafted skill guys. I don't the think WNHL they teams.
0: The WNHL yeah, teams. Yeah,
1: but that, so. yeah, that's what they call them because right. you know they're all you know the high picks. But you know, I don't think they really have it this time of the year against our team. So I knew that probably because if you play a team like Niagara, they're going to be you know kind of nothing to lose, right? Where North Dakota almost has everything to lose. So I just think it would it was a better matchup for us and just beating Minnesota, it's like, who's North Dakota? For us, it was, you know, we just wanted to play the best team as
3: possible. So I, I was rooting for North Dakota.
0: Did you have a preference, Josh?
3: Uh, I didn't really have a preference. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, I kind of agree with the uh, days that. We always had, uh, you know, better success against, you know, the CHA teams, you know, whether it's just if they discounted us, you know, or just ECA teams in general. Um, you know, it never seemed like it was as big of a, uh, a battle is a lot of ECAC games where it's just nitty gritty, more defensive type hockey. So um, yeah, it's more offensive, and but that kind of um, help I would you know was better associated with our game.
0: I don't even know if uh, we ever talked about this, anth. But when I was talking to mom after the after your game, the and the, and that game was going on. I think Niagara was ahead, and she's like, sure. I, I she's like, I do not want to play Niagara. I I could. I could never show my face in Buffalo if we ever lost to them in the national in the national tournament. So, mom was afraid. Yeah, well,
1: that's how we felt when we were going against Quinnipiac. <laughs> but yeah, no, I could totally see mom saying that. Yeah, because right? she she sees people every day around town, and right. yeah, yeah. I, I could imagine her
0: not wanting that. All right, so they switch goalies. Obviously, you guys got uh, Malcolm in there, and then sort of right away, pretty early in the game, they get a goal that eventually doesn't eventually gets waived, uh, kind of goes in off OG, I think. I, I, I watched it 13 times because it's like a 35-minute review, so they showed the replay during that long review a lot of different times. Josh, what do you remember about the first North Dakota goal that that wasn't, the one that didn't count? I, uh,
3: I just remember, you know, when – at the time when I went in, we were just kind of like, all right, we just got to keep going. You know, it's a long game. Anything can happen. You know, at that point, I would say that they are probably outplaying us. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, we needed to kind of turn the tides. And then when, uh, you know, it was just dis- disallowed, you know, that was a big, you know, kind of relief. And I felt like, you know, we were kind of given one and that was, you know, provided some more, um, you know, momentum in our direction. And I think that, you know, kind of really helped from, uh, you know, helped turn the tides.
0: You remember anything specific about it, Anthony?
3: Yeah, I, I just – yeah, I mean, I remember it wasn't the
1: best start for us. Um, and to see – I think it was Corbin Knight, too, which I think is, was their guy. And I think he came down and made a play. And then I forgot who tapped it in. But it was just like – It went kind in of, off OG. A kind of, yeah, so it was, yeah. it was just a, like, finished – it was just kind of a bad way to start. Like, we already weren't playing great. And then for them to get one early. So it was – that how long that break was. It was almost like we kind of ex- – Accepted that we're gonna be down one nothing but let's almost focus on just resetting and playing the right way so the fact that we got to reset and it'd be it be zero zero was almost like a sign of relief that we you know we got almost a long time out to kind of reset and focus and it's zero zero so um, you know I think from that point on it was kind of just a way to put that first whatever six seven minutes behind us and, and start fresh um, and it, I mean, it was the right call too so um, yeah I just remember being it was just long. Um, you know, it's just like, geez, let's just have this one go our way and let's just get back to work.
0: Well, a couple minutes after you mentioned Corbin Knight and he does get one that counts this time, OG kind of stumbled a little bit out of uh, out of a pivot and he kind of went around and, and came in tight. And Malcolm actually got a piece of it with his glove, uh, but it squeaked in. Anthony, what do you remember about the first North Dakota goal that counted? I just almost remember just watching mouse
1: because, like you said, I he got a piece of it, and and you can tell like that's one he doesn't want to let in and wanted back, and just he just immediately you can tell it was like I don't know something happened with mouse or you know it's almost like hey, us on the bench, hey, like he he's got us to this point, like he you know we can let him you know maybe let one in that he wants back, but you you know from that point on he's not going to let another goal in, so it was you know to this point he's got us here, so let's, let's you know let's step up one time and get one back for him. And and he was, you know, perfect from that point on. So, you know, it was just almost watching your senior goalie, you know, almost get a piece of it, their best guy scores. But almost just the way he handled it was just almost a boost for us that, you know, he's not letting another one in. So, you know, we just need to get two.
0: Well, Josh, you kind of mentioned how you weren't off to the best start. But it seems to me watching the game back that after this goal, it felt like almost – somehow it it sparked you guys because this is when the game really st- the ice really started to tilt in your favor almost immediately after the goal watching the game back was it something about the culture or the team or something that Keith does or is there some reason that giving up a goal was almost was the turning point as opposed to like someone goes and gets a big hit or it's uh, you know, something uh, a positive instead. In this way, it was a negative that seemed to just kind of jumpstart you guys. Is, is there any reason you can think of for that? Is it something that was typical? Yeah, no,
3: definitely. I I would just say you know, with a group of guys, like it was just like, it was probably one of the most relentless bunches that I've ever done with you know before, and I would say more than you know any other year. You know, we'll probably faced more adversity than we ever had. So we've been through you know a lot of difficult things together. I think just one goal wasn't uh, you know gonna gonna you know have slow us down. And it was one thing. It was like, all right, you know, our our backs are to the wall now. It's uh, there's only one direction to go. And so everyone just kind of uh, geared down and you know kind of been like, you know, we gotta we gotta come together in order to to kind of make our dreams come true. And uh, you know, you, you can state this all the way back to you know when we we're at Buffalo Wild Wings watching you know Michigan play Notre Dame. And, uh, and, and it was Michigan, you know, scored that first goal against Notre Dame and if Michigan wins when i even in determined. Um, but it's just like, you know, through the entire year, we've been through, you know, so much, you know, hardships and adversity. And, um, it was just like, if it, it didn't, it never felt like anyone was discouraged or, you know, felt deflated. It was like, all right, you know, we've, we've got over 20, we've got over 40 minutes and there's plenty of time to get this back. And, um, there was never a sense of, you know, uh, you know, being scared or feeling like you know we're, we're this is going the wrong direction.
0: Well, the second period is really a great period. I mean, we're going to talk in great detail about the third and what an amazing period that was for you guys. But you guys played a great second period too, and it was it. it I think someone's already used the word relentless. It felt that way uh, during the second period, and Saunders was just holding them in the game. Was there any point where either of you guys starting to get a little bit frustrated with kind of how well this kid's playing? I mean, he's making saves. I remember watching it and saying to, I forget who was in the room, saying like, yeah, of course, they don't start their goalie and their backup is having his Hasek moment or something. Like, he really had an unbelievable second period and a really great first half of the third, too. But, I mean, at any point, do you guys start to get frustrated with it a little bit? Anthony, you can start that one.
1: Yeah, I think just we looked at it almost at the like the opposite way of that. It's almost like we're dominating, and and he's just standing on his head. And you know, coach always talked about like if you, you just kind of stick with the process and just trust the whole game. Like it's gonna, you know, it's gonna open up at some point. So we we're almost just more. I think we we're just more happy about how how much we dominated that game, not more about the saves he's making. Um, And that just goes back to like false touchdown a little bit to his last answer. Just, I just think as a group, we just love to grind. And I know you heard that a lot from, from Kenny and Reuter. And I'm sure the other guys touched it or, or said the word grind, but like, just, I'm just going, thinking back to the summer. And I bet we had like 12, maybe even more guys who stayed there in the summer. We worked out together. We worked on the golf course together. Some guys had internships together it was just like we, we've grinded from pretty much the end of the previous year all the way into this point. So, to, to dominate a period and not get one, we didn't look at it that way. It was just like it's just part of the grind. And, you know, the third period, if, if it just, you know, continues the same way, like it's just not going to, it's just not sustainable for them. Like they're not playing a winning hockey game. So, I, I just think we, we, we spun things um, instead of thinking about making, you know, the, that glove save on Fallon or whatever it may be. It's just like we're dominating. So I think we just go in the
0: room thinking that. Josh, let me ask you this a little bit of a different way, and, and with a little bit of a flash forward too. Do you do you think at all that the experience of how well Saunders played and the way that game ended helped you guys when Hellebuck almost won up some later in the tournament? Like, because Holubuck had almost fifty saves in that in the national semifinal. Did the experience of just a game before having a goalie stand on his head, did that help at all mentally with, uh, with the mass goal game or am I, am I looking for a narrative where there isn't one there?
3: Well, I mean, yeah, no, I would definitely say all those situations help, especially when, you know, uh, you're, you're basically throwing everything at the net and, you know, you stop and everything. You, you realize that, you know, once you just get one goal in, you know, that's when the floodgates have the, have the potential to, to open, which it, you know, it did with, in the North Dakota game. So, you know, in every single situation, it's just more like, Hey, let's just keep getting to the net. You know, one's going to eventually come in and then, you know, the floodgates open from there.
0: All right. So the third period, it's about halfway through. Um, I think it's Stu gets kicked out of a faceoff. Anthony, you step in and, and take the play from there.
1: Yeah. So I just remember, I, I, I took a lot of draws that year with our line, um, you know Stu's a lefty and i was i'm a righty and i was really confident in the way i could win face offs on my backhand and that just happened to be on that dot so i was almost you know excited that he got kicked out and i got put in and it actually might have been on purpose because um, sometimes he would like just almost be more aggressive and hope to get kicked out so i don't know if i'm not sure how that played out but it could have been on purpose um but I always try to win that, snap that back to whoever that, that D is, and it was Fallon. And I just remember, I don't know if he got it through, but it ended up clearing the zone. Um, and we you know, we were always really good at you know, a quick regroup, right? So all the forwards got out of the zone quick. And I remember we kind of turned it up right away or maybe even caused a turnover, and now it's a three-on-two. But it was not like a three-on-two you think about where you have all this space. It was pretty much a three-on-two from the blue line in. So it was a pretty tight space. We didn't have a lot of room to make plays. Um, and I think, think Stu had got it on that, and i up just kind of kicking in the corner. And I had the high guy, so I knew Balshi was on my left. Um, so, like when I went to the corner to get it, uh, I just kind of took a peek on my left, over my left shoulder, to see where Balshi was, and I knew he was kind of back door. And you know, it was still kind of an odd man opportunity. So the guys were more focused on the puck and not not Ballshe backside. So I just remember just thinking, let's get this thing far pad, and you know, best case scenario, it it goes the ball or it's just a shot on that and you know we can go from there but it ended up kind of just hitting his pad perfectly on his left on his left leg and and ball broken hand and all was able to to kind of bury that and it was just you know you can just tell i think us on the ice but just the team just to get that first one now it's like okay here we go like now it's tied and
3: these guys don't have a
0: chance how did you see the play from your eyes uh josh
3: I just remember Dazer and, uh, and Stu battling over on the on the right side, and just you know trying to find a uh, a quiet area in front of the net. And uh, just remember Dazer throwing it throwing it over our side, and just you know kind of sitting there. And you know with my with my broken hand, my uh, my shot was more comparable to like you know a sixty degree wedge. So it's uh, <laughs> it's probably it's it's like all oh, I needed that time to get it in, and, I, and just the emotion from the team and everything. You know, we, it was just kind of once you get that first one. We kind of, and I would, you know, I would probably say Dazer and everyone and the rest of the team would agree. Like, when being down, you know, one goal more than probably any other game and, and how the entire game was going, I don't think anyone ever felt, you know, probably felt more confident that we're going to win even while, you know, being down late in the third period than, you know, maybe any other game. That was just because, you know, they're relentless and just continue to get penetration against the net. And, you know, eventually one would get in and, uh, you know, more more follow.
0: Now, Anthony, you mentioned that you, you see Josh there when you when you look over your shoulder and you're thinking about him when you throw it on net. But that's also kind of the way Keith coaches hockey, right? I mean, one of his philosophies is get the puck to the net whenever you can get the puck to the net, correct?
1: Yeah, you know, and I think he says that as a baseline. So, like, in any sort of broken play, and I don't want to say it was a broken play, I think we still had kind of – you know, position on them. It wasn't the cleanest three on two, but you know, any sort of broken play where they're kind of scrambling, right? It's hard to pick up bodies when you know, as North Dakota, like it's just a quick transition. Now you're defending. It, it's pretty difficult, you know, at that speed to to pick up guys very quick. So I know if I get to this puck, you know, as fast as I can, and you get this thing on net, I think they're going to have a hard time, you know, matching up with our guys. Whether it goes the ball sheet or if it's a huge rebound to like a point man or something, I know they're going to kind of be more chasing than defending so and that's just Keith you know once you have someone on their heels it's, it's it's even more important to to kind of continue to be the aggressor and that's just you know years of practicing and, and you know and, and our practices are mostly you know harder than the games and that's just stuff that we do every day so I just knew that it, they have a hard time kind of matching up after a, a quick shot on that and that was just the case
0: now I don't know if We had Christo or Knight here or one of the six defensemen who were all NHL draft picks, if they would admit it. But they were on their heels for sure here. And shortly after the goal, they take a penalty and the hero from Thursday, or excuse me, from Friday becomes one of the heroes from Saturday. Uh, Josh, what do you remember about Jesse's power play goal to to give you guys a 2-1 lead?
3: I just, I, I remember the emotion, like at that point, like, you know, we're still on the bench and the people that are there are just trying to like, you know, collect their wind and everything. And I remember not even seeing the, the goal really go in cause I was uh, sitting on the bench, but then just everyone just like jumped up and it was just, just like this complete like shot in the arm and it, like everyone just kind of knew like this was our game and Jesse, you know, obviously the entire year, that guy has always been, you know, one of, one of the biggest heroes on, on the team. if not the biggest. And if there's ever a guy that, you know, kind of come through, you know it was Jesse Ago Miller that line they were they were amazing they always you know carried carried the load on their back and you know once again they're they're there to you know get us get us to the next stage
0: Anthony what do you remember about the goal Anthony may have died sorry um oh, okay. that
1: just shows like that it was those three to score right it just makes so much sense right like We were so deep that it's like, all right, let's get the tying one and let's go put our three studs out there and they're going to get the the, the go-ahead goal. And I just kind of remember Reuter. The puck was a little too far ahead of him and and he just kind of got it. And it was just kind of like a a turnaround jump shot, essentially. And I don't think it had the most velocity on it, but that's just, you know, the way that went where I think he got the post and in. and, And like Balsh said, I just remember just kind of going bananas, right? Cause we thought we knew this was the case and just to actually execute it and to be up two one. And I think at this point it was pretty soon after we tied it. Right. So I think there's oh, yeah. still a decent amount yeah. of hockey left. So it was almost, all right, let's, let's relax here. And let this next shift is the most important one. Um, but yeah, it's just, of course it was those guys that do it. right? It's deserving. And those, those are the guys that led us all year.
0: All right. So now at this point, Josh, I'll tell you this, that whenever Anthony and I, whenever I can get Anthony to talk about his hockey career, and I've seen a lot of his games. And I always say the best game he ever played was the last state final he played as a midget in Buffalo. And he always says this one. So we disagree on that. But I think (laughs) one thing we agree on is that this third goal is maybe the best play he ever made. So let's break this one down. So there's 240 left. In the game, you guys have a two to one lead, Anthony, and you're gonna take another offensive zone draw. Uh, take me from the offensive zone draw to the point where it's in yeah. the other end. Yeah. Then stop. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I, I think I like I said right. So this was that that right side yep. off dot offensive zone. So that's the one I I would usually take. Uh, and I think I, I was kind of a tie up, but I think they, they won a little bit. They won it. Um, and they just kind of just sent it down. I know that parks is a really fast forward that I played against in juniors. And I think they kind of have a play where they maybe win it back a little bit and then flip it to him just to get a, just get a straight sprint and beat that D, but too bad for him. It was Tommy Fallon on that, on that, <laughs> on that D side and no one's beating him in a race. So, you know, it was, it was a pretty much a foot race between Fallon and parks um and I'm I'm a right winger. So now once we're back checking, I'm gonna go to that far wall and just be in my spot because at that point Stu is in the middle and Ballshi's on the other side. So I remember just Fallon getting back to the puck and just going up the strong side and, and coach always talks about the weak side forward, you know, kind of starting his skater early, um, like over the top. And I saw it went to Matson at the point and I at this point I build up so much speed and he was not sure about how the puck was gonna lie. I was just, I'm going to go right at his chest. It's either going to be a, a hard hit, or I think he's going to fumble it a little bit. Um, and it ended up being a little bit of both, where right? I got a piece of him, he was fumbling it. And I just kind of remember, I couldn't believe I didn't fall, because I was I was going so fast, and I got a piece of him that I, I was able to kind of just open up my hips and stay on my feet. And at that point, now it's just a pretty much a straight two-on-one um, and, you know, I, that's my favorite shot coming down. Right, well, that hold on hold on, the right hold on,
0: hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because you're already way past the point right. where I told you to stop anyway. but
1: why? Right, <laughs> I'm not even in their zone yet.
0: Yeah, I told you to stop when the – never mind. Listen, we're not going to argue here. All right, this is my show. You listen to me. So when you're coming at him, it almost – when you watch it, it almost looks like it's impossible that you're not coming downhill. Like, it looks literally like you're coming at him somehow downhill. And you almost, and again, all six of these guys are NHL draft picks, and you basically just shrugged him aside with your shoulder and in one motion start the two-on-one. Okay, so now you can pick it back up with the, uh, with so you're on a two-on-one, you're on the left, coming down the, the wing. What do you see? Who do you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, what do you see from there?
1: So I'm always, I'm like in this situation, I'm usually always going to like not look at the goalie and, and try and buy, like have him think I'm going across as much as possible and then go back to the short side high. Um, and I thought I did a pretty good job of it and I ended up faking it to stew and I think it barely got him in the shoulder. Like I don't think he really, you know, I think it was more reaction than anything. And it hit his shoulder and just went straight up in the air.
0: Okay, stop um, right there. Stop so right I, there. Stop right okay. there. So the puck goes straight up in the air. Now, Josh, let's switch to you. What do you see from where you are when the puck goes up in the air there?
3: So originally, we almost thought that it was, uh, like, it, from Stu and I's angle, it almost looked like, you know, days are buried it and Literally just clipped him in the top uh, left shoulder, and literally it was just straight in the air. And at that point, it was just Stu and I and, uh, and, and one of the guys, one, only one person on their team, it was just, you know, kind of a race to, you know, who could who could hit it in which direction first. And, you know, Stu got there and, and put it away. Um, and that was just kind of like the nail in the coffin. That was just, uh, you know, the point right there where we kind of just knew that, uh, we're finally making it to the frozen four, which, you know, has been, you know, a lifelong dream
0: for, for almost all of us. I would assume probably all of us. Now, Anthony, where the hell do you go?
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I'm I'm just going to like protect myself and say you can't really prepare yourself for the moment where you like you punch your ticket to the frozen four. So I, (laughs) I am not responsible for my actions at that point. But I don't know, I, I just think I wanted to just, like jump in the bench with the guys. Like I think that was just, we were just so fired up that I just wanted to go and just be with everyone. So that's where I went. And it's a, it's a hilarious video, but I'm not responsible for my emotions at that moment because I had no way of preparing myself for what I would do. So well, it that's is, where I went. I pretty much went to the bench and
0: jumped in. It is funny because when you watch the video of the goal, you can tell that Tommy is looking like, where did Dazer go? Mm-hmm. You know, you can see just <laughs> the look <laughs> on his face, like what the hell happened to Anthony.
1: I don't know how I had any how I had any legs after
0: just blow. You know, just that shit <laughs> alone. But I don't know. <laughs> were you wondering where he went, Josh? <laughs> and <Noah's> Josh is like, <laughs> like "What? <"Well>, we're short-handed." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so no, was too good. Yeah. So just really, just a great play there all around and they reviewed it i don't really know why i guess to see if it was a kick i think i guess not a long review there was really nothing there they're hoping there was something i'm sure right and but you both have already without me even asking you both felt and just to confirm you both felt at that point you had him then right yeah 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 i
1: mean it's just i think what is it there's probably like two minutes left and i just with Malcolm and the way like we are able to shut down teams, you know, I think we had gotten ourselves to the point where like, this is going to be the easy part is just finishing this thing off and just playing, you know, very conservative. But, you know, I knew we had the guys who had the experience to close out a game like that. I don't think at all we were really like, shy away, you know, and, and have some sort of travesty happen. I think we, you know, we were confident in our, the, the way that we can kind of just finish this and, and move on.
0: Uh, Kenny gets a, an empty net goal to make it four to one. And Josh, there's an amazing video on the internet of of the Yale bench in the last few seconds of the Quinipac game. If such a video existed from the North Dakota game, uh, what would we see? What was what was the bench like during the last uh, few seconds of this of, uh, of 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 the regionals? You guys are closing out, and like Anthony said, punching your ticket to the Frozen Four.
3: Oh. It was so surreal. Um, like, you know, to, you, you always dream as a kid, like a Frozen Four. You're like watch on TV every single year growing up. You, you look up at these people, being like, "Wow!" Like, you know, these, this is amazing. Like, that was—that's all I want. And then it was just like that, all of that emotion, you know, coming together at once. Of you know, actually making to the Frozen Four. Like, is this reality? Um, you know, kind of just all came together at once. And you know, to, to describe the emotion, I, I don't even know if it's possible. Um, but obviously, like if you, if you watch it, it's everyone just going crazy. But um, the, that type of emotion is something that I would you know, just say is indescribable.
0: What do you remember about the bench in, in the last few seconds against N.D. Yeah, I,
1: I think I was a lot more calm than the Quinnipiac one. But I just kind of remember I was hanging by Connor Wilson, who was my classmate and was a backup goalie. And I just kind of was like standing behind him because I just didn't really want to watch like – like, and like Josh said, like, I mean, I grew up and this is all I wanted to do was win a national championship. And you know that, you know, I was never really a huge NHL guy or kid, right? I think I always just wanted to win the national championship and college hockey was, you know, always my goal. So like Josh said, I mean, to get yourself to this position and and, and, and I just really couldn't watch. <laughs> so I just wanted to hear that buzzer and make sure North Dakota didn't do anything crazy. But it was, you know, it's just, I mean, it's just a dream come true. And it, it was just, you know, I, honestly just probably couldn't wait to get off the ice and call you and just uh you know and get back to new Haven and, and just get ready to to move on
0: well i remember that i had to go to a sabers game that like, this is when i saw season tickets and there was a sabers capitals game that night and i i really didn't want to go for a couple of reasons Is like one it was a grind for me still at that point to get anywhere and Especially like a Sabres game, like all the walk, like, I just didn't really want. And then I just remember I just I just like wanted you to call, you know. Like I didn't want, I, like I just like that was all I was focused on. I was like waiting for you to call. And I always think back, and, and we've talked about this before, but I always think back to uh, Josh Brian Gionta is from you know from Buffalo, and um, so is this guy named Jeff Farkas. And when Farkas and Gianta were together at BC. Uh, they were chasing, like, BC's first title uh, that they had won since, like, the Siglarski era. So, like, they're chasing this, like, elusive national championship, and it doesn't happen for Farkas. He graduates without it. And on Gianta's senior year, uh, they they win in overtime. And Anthony and I watched that together. I don't remember what year that was. So I don't remember how old you were, Anth. But I remember it was just me and you, at a party somewhere in a basement full of people, but nobody's watching this game but me and you on this little TV, and we watch sort of like it happened for Gianta and it happened for BC. And I remember when I was waiting for you to call, that was all I could think about. I would just kept thinking about that that moment, like watching that with you and thinking like, "Wow, like this is this is happening? Like we're we're going to the the Frozen Four at the very least." So that that's what I remember about it from my perspective. I want to ask you guys a couple things about post game. Uh, obviously, after the the Quinnipiac picture or after the Quinnipiac game, when you take the team photo, you guys are national champions. Um, you can do whatever you want in that photo. Is the regional championship photo any? Is it different? Is there a different mindset to, I guess, how you want to pose, for lack of a better word, in that photo? Uh, what do you guys remember? Maybe this is a better way to ask it. What do you guys remember about taking the the team picture as regional champions? Josh, you can you can answer that one.
3: I mean, I think uh, it was a little bit different in terms of you know, it, as much as it was you know a dream come true, making to the Frozen Four. You know, we still had two more games before uh, you know completing the you know our ultimate goal and. No dream, so there was still a lot to accomplish. So at that point, you know, as happy we as we are in that uh, in that instant, um, you know, people are still, you know, you're, you're not seeing everyone. You know, it's still more of uh, you know
0: preparing and getting ready for you know what's next. Do you remember anything specific about yeah, that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I just I just remember not knowing what the hell to do. So like, you know, <laughs> I, Josh and some of the guys. I mean, they lost in that game, so I don't know if they like. I was just, I had no idea what to do. Um, I just, I remember I wanted to go see Nico. Like I said, Nico Wieberg, my guy, my classmate. His season ended a few months before his concussion. So I just remember I just wanted to go see him on the bench after everything. But yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone was putting any
0: stock in that photo. I just think they probably just told us to do it.
1: <laughs> to be, I, like, I think we're just the, that naive and just really just wanted to get the hell out of there.
0: Josh, what does the King of Mojo say to you after after the weekend? <laughs> What's that? So what is the king of uh, the King of mojo as your dad was known in the Yale hockey circle say to you, <laughs> you after the weekend?
3: Um, throughout this whole entire experience, I, you know I've probably never seen the King of mojo uh, as emotional in, <laughs> in my entire life and, and he'll probably tell you that you know as a father, the hardest moment of his life, was you know just you know being around during those games and you know my my entire family had a uh, vacation in uh the bahamas during this and as soon as we made it to the tournament they all uh you know left where the, Dean of the bahamas just come to this game um you know being the ultimate you know family members they are and but like as my dad would say he was just like every single game like he just he, he said it was probably harder for him than it was for us and you know the the emotion and the, the you know the sense of pride that you know he gave to me you know it's it's something you never forget
0: it's fu- it's funny you say that too cuz there's a picture of my brother greg and i that i mean we didn't know anyone was taking it but it's at the frozen four i'm not sure if it's the first or the second game but there's a picture of us i guess essentially just watching the game and we both look white you know what i mean like we both look like scared to death so I, I definitely can relate to the feeling uh, you know it's funny we, we were talking about your dad the, the first time I ever was in the same I guess room with your dad is that the first time I was at Ingalls and uh, I was waiting for everyone to, you know you, everyone kind of congregates in that area by the where the, you know by the ticket booths there uh, waiting for everyone to come up and your dad was holding court kind of next to where I was standing and he was talking to someone about how they they had just gotten a girlfriend, and he was trying to get a line on how hot they were. And I just remember him saying like, like, like. He he's saying he's like, well, well, like if they if they if they were in New York, she she'd be like what well, like a four or a five, but but in New Haven, it's more like a seven or an eight, right? It, like, she's she's Yale hot or is she like New York hot or like in Los Angeles, she'd be a nine or ten. Like just busting someone's balls relentlessly about how hot. I think it might have been Fallon, actually um probably Fallon I think it was Fallon <laughs> and um I was just I wasn't in the conversation I was just sort of next to it and I was just laughing my ass off um at your dad just <laughs> relentlessly busting balls about trying to trying to pinpoint the proper number from 1 to 10 for Fallon and I apologize to Fallon if it wasn't him I think it was him uh Fallon's new girlfriend so it was really really funny so and I I started a thread on uh on the yell the Yale uh Yale fan page on on facebook and uh, at least two people mentioned that they wanted an update on the king of mojo and 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 how he had to be at least asked about uh when we did this so we had to get him in
3: <laughs> that's awesome
0: okay <laughs> he'll love that <laughs> uh postscript wise i mean again so if you if you really if listening to the sequence is, sequentially is really important to you we're gonna we're gonna skip ahead a little bit but uh i want to i want to ask you both uh first anthony uh take me through your view of the overtime winner against wool
1: yeah so that game was that was an interesting game that was another one where i think we pretty much dominated except for for like i don't know two minutes i think they scored we were up to nothing They scored two goals like in 40 seconds or something And i just remember like looking around the bench and there was like some guys laughing like there's it was like we had so much confidence at this point that it was yeah they just scored two goals in 30 seconds but you know we're just gonna dominate these guys so it just it just shows how calm we were and even in overtime i think that you know that game went a little bit into overtime it wasn't obviously as short as the minnesota game but you know, I just remember Miller having time and space, and and Miller with time and space is is all he needs. So you know, once he kind of got past that defense and who was in limbo, you know, I, I you know, I put a lot of stock in him being able to finish it. And I remember me and Miller. I, I think if you ask him, he's probably not the best breakaway guy, and I don't think Aggo is either. So we in that whole that whole season in our morning skates, we kind of always practiced breakaways and. You know, and Miller started really just always going five-hole because he had such quick hands. So, you know, to see him go five-hole backhand and then, you know, the next night or two nights later go five-hole on it's just, you know, it, when he has puck on a puck kind of stick and, and in a situation like that, being on the bench, you're, you're pretty confident. So I just remember, you know, he, he slides at five-hole in the Miller way, just so poised. And, you know, the bench empties and I turn around and, and hug Coach, but, um, yeah, yeah Josh,
0: mean, and Josh, now it's just, Josh, I was going to ask you what what the hell kind of player hugs the coach? Sorry, what, what was that? I said, what the hell kind of player hugs the coach after an overtime goal? I mean, I, I think a common <laughs> a common thread here is that we have Anthony ditching the boys in the corner after the <laughs> goal in North Dakota, and go. now after the uh, overtime goal, he's sucking up for a yeah. letter junior year or something like what? Who hugs the coach? <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, after the next
2: game, I put my helmet
0: through the moon, so I don't know where this, this is only- going. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So let's end with this. I'll, I'll get you guys out of here on this. It. I, I'm doing this because it's the five-year anniversary of the of the national championship, and I guess I want to ask both of you, with five years of hindsight, uh, when you take a private moment and you think about the 2012, 2013 Yale Bulldogs, what – what do you think? Like, what what comes to mind? Like, what do you think most about about this run and the championship and the banner that hangs at Ingles? Josh, you can you can start.
3: I just think of it as like you know family and you know uh, such a you know close knit group of people that you know as Anthony said earlier you know practices were always harder than you know the actual games. Like we've been through so much together, and I would say you know it goes all the way from that like you know that 2013 team. Um, all the way through the people that graduated ahead of that, you know, even to, uh, you know, before, you know, Alec Richards and, you know, the class of 2009 and that Nelson, those guys that, you know, first made it all the way to the tournament for the first time. I felt like, you know, and all those guys were there with us that night when we, when we won. And it was just like, you know, an entire family and a group of people. It's like, we all, you know, kind of did it together. And there's no way we would have done it if it wasn't for the people ahead of us. And it was just like, you know, one, I'll just say it's like a gigantic family. Like I can't find anything that's closer.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah, and, it, and for me, there's like probably two things that I would think about. And like the first one is I don't think we really knew what we were doing, and just in terms of just context, you know, winning that championship for a school like Yale that hadn't had it, it was just you don't realize who's affected. And I think that the months and years afterwards, you you hear different people's stories about where they were, what they were doing. You know, there was a wedding that got pushed back. It's just stuff like that where you don't really realize, you know, how many alums or or people you're affecting. And I think that's just why we were able just to go and play, just because I think we were were just so just focused on that. That's the first thing I think about. And then the second one is I pretty much can't get emotional. All right, I'm always emotional every time I see, like, someone win anything it could be you know someone winning you know a golf tournament and like you know when he hugs a caddy or any sort of championship i i still like get tears just thinking about how i felt when we won it just every time i see someone celebrate i just think back to you know the time that we had and you know i don't think that will ever go away you know every time i see them throw their sticks or throw your helmet it's, i just kind of get a little, a little teared up because it's just to be able to experience that it's just there's no better feeling than throwing your helmets in the moon and, and going and getting your goalie and you know it's just <laughs> stuff like that it's it's just like i'll never you know every time i see it I'll, I'll tear up
0: well make sure you guys listen to part four you can find out what the hell josh was uh excuse me jeff was doing with the net i was excited to ask yeah. him like you know was that, <laughs> <laughs> so tune in to part four for that but uh josh balsh anthony day thanks for doing this uh, the narrative will move on. Part three uh, will be, obviously, the Mass Lowell game. But uh, do you guys have any questions for me for any reason?
1: No, no thanks thank for, uh, for doing this. Right? Yeah. This is going to be something that we can always kind of look back and listen on the 10-year and, and, and any year. It's going to be cool to have this, you know, do- documented. And, you know, it's always kind of good mm-hmm. to, to dig up the memories and talk about something we really haven't talked about for a few years. So
0: thank you. All right. Thank you, boys. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Anthony. I'll talk to you both soon. You got it. I want to thank Chip Malafronte from the New Haven Register. I also want to thank Anthony Day and Josh Balls. You know, there's a there's this picture that comes up at my time hop once in a while, and it's a picture from around uh, the national championship time, and it's, it's my father who says in the comments, believe it or not, I wish I could do it all again. And I think this project in a lot of ways is about being able to do this all again, and it's been so much fun reliving uh, the regionals. Uh, so I want to thank the four guys who really gave us so much great information in these first two shows. I want to thank Kenny Agostino. I want to thank Jesse Root. I want to thank Josh and I want to thank Anthony Day for providing the insight into the regionals. I also want to thank Chip Malfronte for doing this uh, with me. Uh, his voice will not only be on this episode, but you may hear some more Chip uh, as we get into the Frozen Four. It's fun so far. Really fun so far. I'm glad. I hope people are enjoying it. Glad people are listening. Please spread the word if you can. Let me give some plugs. For more information about this project, you can find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. That's the best way to find out any information. If you need something from me, if you have a question for one of the guys, and I'm going to lay out who's going to be on the rest of the way, you can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. If you want to hear more episodes of The Sportscasters, you can, of course, find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. And the podcast itself is hosted on SoundCloud. So if you go to soundcloud.com slash sports-casters, you can find all of the episodes of this show since way back when it started in 2011. So with that all said, this is what we have moving forward. Uh, part three is next, and part three is a special one—the uh, national semifinal against Mass Lowell. And uh, there was a name when I when I started this, and I and I had a list of names. Uh, there was a name in bold at the very top, and that name was Andrew Miller. And Andrew is going to join us on the next show, and also Mitch Whittick is going to join us. So it's going to be a great podcast to hear those guys talk about the national semifinal. And then after that, for the final, uh, we will talk with two more studs, Jeff Malcolm, who had a shutout in that game, of course, and Gus Young, uh, who is has uh, always been a great guy to me and, and made an amazing play at the end of the second period on, the, on a board bench, which he'll, he'll explain in detail. Uh, so there's still a ton of great information to get to as we make this journey. Uh, through the uh, regionals, and uh, and now into the Frozen Four, which is uh, sort of the main event, right? The uh, the regionals were the um, were the uh, the uh, the undercard, and uh, now it's, it's it's time for the main event. Now, it's time to uh, to talk about the Frozen Four. Uh, part four is also going to include one last thing from me. Uh, One last thing, if you listen to the sportscast, this is something I usually do at the end of each show. Uh, There will be a one last thing at the end of part four. Sort of a postscript to the the whole story. I just want to thank everyone again. Uh, Thanks to Josh. Thanks to Anthony. We'll be back next week with part three.